Lord God, we come before you. Thank you, Lord, for another day to serve you, to bless your name, to worship you and glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for your church. It's a pillar, support of truth, Lord, righteousness, holiness. Lord, may you be glorified today. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Help us to apply it in our lives. Help us to be stewards, Lord, like Paul said of the mysteries of God. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your truth. Help us to weed out any distractions, anything that would hinder us, Lord, from loving you, from growing in our love for you, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, growing in our knowledge of you, Father, and knowing the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us in the areas we're falling short, Lord. Grow us strong as a unit sanctify us mold us shape us into your image unify this fellowship build it up lord as we continue to seek you and to earnestly desire the greater gifts lord empower us all to bless your name and serve one another so bless this message lord encourage us and strengthen us we love you in jesus name amen title of today's teaching is knowing the holy spirit Knowing the Holy Spirit. The la- two weeks ago, I talked about growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18, knowing Christ and growing in our knowledge of him. And then last week on Father's Day, we talked about knowing our Heavenly Father, what that means. I thought it would be fitting today to include the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just made sense to go that route. Talk talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, you have this exchange. Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night. Many commentators believe he didn't want to go during the day. He didn't want to be seen with Jesus. It was this sneak arrival. He had some questions, some pressing questions for Jesus. And so he asks Jesus a couple questions, and Jesus gets straight to the point. In verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you can ask whatever questions you want. This is what I'm going to be talking about. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus then responds in verse 5, truly Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be reborn, regenerated of the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Verse 25 in Ezekiel 36 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Verse 27 states, I and I will pour out or put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and are careful and follow my ordinances. I will wash you with water. I will put my spirit in you for seeing the new covenant, the Holy Spirit coming into believers. Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the Jews and you don't know these things. You don't know that you must be born again, that you must be radically changed, regenerated, indwelt with the Holy Spirit to see and enter the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit is at work in the believer's life from beginning to end. The moment you repent of your sins, you turn from your old life, you turn to Christ, you believe in him for eternal life, the Holy Spirit is involved in that process. He brings about that change. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Holy Spirit is involved in saving. Five S's that I came up with. He saves, he seals, he sanctifies, he saturates you with the truth, and he solidifies Christ as Lord in your heart. There's many other things he does, but he saves, seals, sanctifies, saturates you with the truth, and solidifies Christ as Lord in your heart. May we never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, quote, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on 
and no one would even know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Why was the Holy Spirit permeating every part of the New Testament church? I believe the main answer is, or some of the main answers include, they were spiritually needy. They were hungry for God. They were humble. They feared the Lord. They weren't self-reliant. They weren't self-centered. They weren't selfish. They were selfless. They were walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit. They weren't quenching the Spirit. They weren't resisting the Spirit. The Scripture gives us this dichotomy. You can either walk in the Spirit as a believer or you can walk in the flesh. You can be led by the Spirit or led by the flesh. You can be filled with the Spirit or you can quench the Spirit. When you look at the epistles of the New Testament, Paul is talking to believers and he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be like the church in the book of Acts, or you can be like the church of Corinth, the Corinthian church. In the book of Acts, we're told they were in one accord. They had one mind. They were devoting themselves, Acts 2.42, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. We're told in Acts 1.14, and many other verses, those were just the ones that I had time to look up, that they had one mind, one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, seeking the Lord. They're on their knees, humbly crying out to God, we need boldness, we need help, Lord. We want to fulfill your commission. They're being persecuted. Peter's being arrested. Stephen is stoned to death in Acts 7. They need help, so they're crying out to the Lord. They're spiritually needy, and God is blessing them greatly. You get to the Corinthian church, and they're divided. They're quarreling. They're bickering. They're questioning if Paul's an apostle. They're getting drunk. A man's involved in incest. It's a wicked church. They're devoting themselves to debauchery. They're filled with the flesh. They're led by the flesh. They're quenching the spirit. And so Paul is like, do you even know Jesus Christ? He's doing damage repair work. He's going in there and he's writing 1st and 2nd Corinthians, trying to repair all these errors, false teaching, and how far they have drifted from the Lord. So the Acts church is thriving, they're blessed, they're full of life and joy, they're multiplying rapidly while the Corinthian church is at a standstill. It's oppressed and it's rotting from the inside out. Both churches started the same way. Both churches had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The gospel was preached both in the book of Acts when the church started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and in the Corinthian church, when Paul came with the gospel, they believed in him and they received the Holy Spirit. And they had evidence of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues and they were prophesying and healing was going forth. The evidence of the Holy Spirit was all around them, but they were resisting him. They were quenching him. They were not being filled with him. And that was being seen by the evidence of sin and error. And as they were drifting from him, it was there all around them. So both churches started in the same way. But one knew the Holy Spirit, was growing in the Holy Spirit, was filled with the Holy Spirit, while the other was not. Which church would you want to attend? Which church would you want to walk in? Imagine if you went to the church in Acts. They're filled with joy. They're filled with peace. They're filled with love. They welcome you in. Maybe they give you a hug. Maybe that's uncomfortable for some of you. But maybe they hug you, maybe they embrace you, maybe they love on you, maybe they pray for you, they, they're sharing with you, you're welcomed as part of the family, part of the body of Christ, the truth is being proclaimed, Jesus Christ and him crucified, they're submitting to the apostles' teaching, it's a, bib- it's a biblical, thriving, beautiful church. 
Then you go to the other one. You walk in and they're fighting and they're bickering and they're quarreling and they're angry at one another. They're so busy walking in sin and selfishness, they don't even see you. You don't even get talked to. You get overlooked. And when they do finally catch your eye or they do see you, they're judging you suspiciously. Who's this person coming in here? What's their motive? And you leave empty and you leave hurt and confused and possibly if you heard any teaching, it was a false teacher and you're being led astray. So one is full of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit and seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit play out in their lives and the other is on the verge of collapse. What church do we want to be? We want to be like the Acts church, right? That is the model. And praise God, when I look around at the church, when I hang out with people in this fellowship, I see the love, I see the joy, I see the peace. I've even heard that from people that have visited here and they go, praise the Lord, there's, there's joy in the room. That's exciting when people see the Holy Spirit at work in the midst of us. They see the selflessness. They see us caring for one another, praying for one another, meeting the needs of one another. I keep stressing the one another's, the 59 one another's of the New Testament. I can't get past those. About 10 to 15 of those are love one another. Love one another. Fervently love one another. What does that look like? As believers, that should be something that's at the forefront of our mind. What does it mean to love my brothers and sisters in the Lord? What does that look like? We want to keep the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, always at the front and center of all we do. We want to grow in unity, grow in the faith. We want to endure hardships with joy. How many of us can say we're going through hardships and tribulation with joy? You look at the book of Acts, they were filled with joy. You look at the disciples, they're being persecuted. They are taken in by the religious leaders and they are whipped. They are beaten and they are told, do not speak this name any longer. No more preaching the gospel. No more preaching Jesus. Do you hear? No, we must obey God rather than man. And they leave after getting whipped and it says they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They're jumping up and down with joy. It's an honor that we are being persecuted for the name of our master. That's the mindset we need to have. Not only when we're persecuted from the world, but when we're going through any trials, tribulations, hardships, we're rejoicing. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. What's Paul's final word to the Corinthian church? His last letter that we have, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's the last verse that Paul wrote, his farewell address to the Corinthian church, and he addresses three things. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Grace, love, and fellowship. Three things that this church was radically lacking. Grace, love, true love, Christ-like love, and fellowship. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We talk about going to our fellowship. We talk about home fellowships. Koinonia, sharing with one another, participating, communion. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Communing with God the Holy Spirit. Sharing with him. Seeking him. Being filled with him. If we are not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit when we are alone with God, when we are at home, when we are away from one another, how are we going to fellowship in the Holy Spirit when we're together? That was hugely lacking in the church. And so that's what Paul's prayer for them is. Grace, love, and fellowship in the Holy Spirit. The more we fellowship with the Spirit, the more we know him, the more we are filled with him, the more these seven traits that I want to give you, I believe, will be found in our lives. Seven life-giving traits of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to talk about the rest of the time that we have. Now, perhaps I could give 40 life traits, 50 life traits 
when you're looking at the attributes of God, characteristics of Christ or the Holy Spirit, it's hard to put a number on it. I mentioned last week, I think it was a 500-page book, and these the words on this in this book are very small. It probably could be a 1,000 pages on the attributes of God and how I'm scared to even open it up and begin. And then I was last week given a book after church by an old friend. She came up and gave me a book and said, well, after you said you can barely dive into that book she brought me like a four or five hundred page book she's like I don't know if you're going to be able to get into this one and so I actually opened it up when I got home and read like a page or two which is a lot for me so little by little right but seven life-giving traits of the Holy Spirit in no way exhaustive a reminder of who the Holy Spirit is we talk about the father a lot we talk about the son a lot sometimes we can forget about the Holy Spirit because as we're going to talk about, the Holy Spirit points to Christ. He glorifies Christ. So rightly so, we're not, we want to be balanced. But if we're going to talk about which person of the Trinity, the focus, the pinnacle is the cross of Jesus Christ, the Father sending his Spirit-filled Son into the world who died on the cross for our sins and atoned for our sins at Calvary. So life-giving truth, life-giving trait, number one, is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. And I'm going to give a verse or um, several verses for each trait. And you could turn there if you'd like, John 16, 13. That's the first one, John 16, 13. Jesus said, but when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He's not the spirit of confusion. He's not the spirit of error. He's not the spirit who misleads you. He's the spirit of truth. He guides you into truth. He guides you to Christ. He guides you to God's word. He validates truth in your life. We live in a day and age of so many errors, so much confusion. Just go online. Last night before bed, I got hungry. I was looking up articles on, is a bagel and cream cheese healthy? (laughs) I really like bagels and cream cheese. Sometimes it's hard to eat one. I eat two sometimes before bed, believe it or not. Now, I would try to work out every morning. That's my excuse to eat that much because then I can burn it off in the morning. But I, w- I wanted some validation that online I could find an article that's telling me this is at least somewhat healthy. And I found an article d- on diabetes, and it said, number one worst food to eat for diabetics, bagel and cream cheese. Now to the top ten. I couldn't believe it. Over donuts and over cereal and over, like, How is bagel and cream cheese number one? It was frustrating. But another article I looked at quickly seemed to say, no, bagel and cream cheese, pretty good. It's not bad. It's it's healthy. You know, a little bit of protein in the cream cheese, some fat and some carbs and a little bit of fiber, you're fine. But I felt, no, I can't eat the bagel and cream cheese because I did look up two or three articles that said that it was bad. And so anyways, I had a little tiny bowl of Cheerios I ate a half a burger, and then I went to bed, and I was tossing and turning all night. I was so hungry, like in my sleep, regretting that I didn't have the bagel and cream cheese. But all that to say, I couldn't get a straight answer. I think the overwhelming answer was against the one that I wanted. But I could find an article that justified my position, probably, is what I'm trying to say. And if you look long enough online, you're going to find articles that are all convoluted. They're all contradicting themselves. They're all telling you what you want to hear. And at the end of the day, most people just want to make money or they just want to get clicks. And they have clickbait and all that stuff. And so we we have to be so careful when we're online, when we're on social media. You you see a social media, oh, headline, this happened. And then it's like I've got to go digging and see, okay, where's the real news article? And then once you find the actual news article, you're like, is this a reputable source? Is this actu- did this actually happen? It's so hard to find the truth in our day and age. Praise God he gives us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Christians of all people should be people of the truth. 
people of the word, discerning, not just jumping on every bandwagon and everything that's posted online or on Twitter. or on. We need to be discerning. We need to step back. We need to take a look at it. We need to many times pray or seek the Lord or compare it to the word and see if it's true and accurate. You know, when you look at many of the churches that claim to be using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're constantly talking about the Holy Spirit. He's front and center. The gifts are front and center. We're a Holy Spirit-filled church. We're about the gifts. We're about signs and wonders. Many Pentecostal churches, if, if you're really a Christian, you will speak in tongues. Some will even go as far as to say, you must speak in tongues if you're a Christian. If you don't, that's an evidence you're not a Christian. Forget what Paul says, not all are apostles, not all have the gift of healings. Not all are prophets. Not all speak in tongues, do they? They're very good at skipping over verses and picking and choosing ones that work for their false theology. But isn't it interesting that there's so much false doctrine in these churches? They claim to know the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, yet they're disproportionate. They're focusing so much on the gifts and the Holy Spirit and not on Christ not on the gospel, not on the cross, not on repentance and faith. They've drifted, drifted into error, showing many of them don't know the Holy Spirit. Because John 16, 14, the next verse, Jesus said, He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall dis disclose it to you. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to magnify Christ, to glorify Jesus Christ. And we see that again in John 15, 26. John 15, 26, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. He will testify of me. He will point back to me. He will glorify me. So if you are in a truly Holy Spirit-filled filled church, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to be boasting about Christ and him crucified. You're going to be in his word. You're going to be seeing a preacher who's constantly opening God's word, teaching God's word. Sanctify them in truth, Jesus said. Thy word is truth. Then you have John 14, verses 16 and 17. John 14, 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. There we see that Greek word again, genosko. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Gnosko, experiential knowledge. You know the Holy Spirit, disciples. He's with you. He will be in you. Jesus didn't yet die and rise and ascend to the Father. And Jesus said, when I ascend, I will pour out my spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you know him. He abides with you, and then he will be in you. And we see that play out in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples. So 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge, gnosko, grow in the experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.13, you know the Father, John says, little children, I'm writing to you because you know the Father, gnosko, you experientially know him. 1 John 3.1, the world does not know him. And then John 14.17, you know the Holy Spirit. Knowing the Father knowing the Son, knowing the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't know him. They can't know him. They're full of error. They're full of confusion. They're full of the flesh. They're being led by the devil. Second Timothy 2, I believe it's right around 25 and 26, says they're held captive by the devil to do his will. So Paul tells Timothy when he is preaching to them to do it, when he's correcting them, do it with gentleness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. 2 Timothy 2.24-25 2 
through 26. That's what we do as ambassadors for Christ. Pick apart the errors in the world. Pick apart their false doctrines, their false theologies, where they've been deceived, and we do it with care and with gentleness, but with precision in the truth. We know the spirit. We know the truth. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says six times, do you not know to the Corinthian church? Do you not know in verse 2, verse 3, verse 9, verse 15, verse 16, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6? Do you not know that saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 1 Corinthians 6, 2, 3, 9, 15, 16, 19. Don't you know these things, Corinthians? Aren't you filled with the Spirit? Don't you know the Holy Spirit? Aren't you walking in truth? You guys have been led astray. Led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Do you not know that Christ is in you? Unless you have failed the test. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Wow. Number two. He's the spirit who testifies. He's the spirit who testifies. Romans 8.16. Not only does he bear witness that Jesus is the son of God, Lord of all, God in the flesh. Romans 8.16. The spirit himself testifies. Some translations say bears witness. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Some Christians, if not many Christians, at times in their walk with the Lord, doubt their salvation. Am I really saved? You, you maybe wander. You maybe get caught up in sin. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says sin is deceitful. Encourage one another day after day, whether you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You walk in sin, it's going to deceive you. It's going to trick you, if you will. It's going to make you doubt things. You get caught up in sin, you can doubt your salvation. The closer you are to the Lord, filled with his spirit, the spirit will confirm with your spirit that you are a child of God. The more you're filled with him, the more you'll be filled with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These will be evidences in your life. You'll say, this didn't exist when I was in the world. This didn't exist when I was living for myself. Does that always mean you're going to have just a ton of love, a ton of joy, a ton of peace, and it's going to be a tangible feeling that you're always going to have every second of every day? I don't believe so. We're still in our sinful flesh. We're still in a fallen world. But the more we seek the Lord, the more we're filled with his Holy Spirit, we will live with love, joy, peace, and so on in our hearts. And it will confirm that we are his children. The Holy Spirit will confirm truth. He will show us error. He will show us sin for what it really is. We will hate it. If you look at verses 13 and 14, of chapter 8 if you are living according to the flesh you must die but if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are being led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God if you're being led by the spirit you're going to be putting to death sin in your life the sword of the spirit Ephesians 6 is the word of God as you grow in the word as you grow in truth you hide God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. You're able to discern with the truth of God's word what sin is, and you put it to death and you hate it. Another evidence that you're a child of God. So you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit pouring out of you. You have a hatred for sin in your life. Another evidence that you're a believer because you were in the world, you didn't hate sin. You didn't fight it. You just indulged in it. That's the difference between a Christian. That's one difference. 
out of the many differences between Christians and those in the world, non-believers, is they don't fight sin. They just indulge in it. They live for it. But when you become a Christian, you begin to have a hatred for sin. And the closer you become to the Lord, the more you hate that which is evil. You abhor it. The word there testifies or bears witness. The Spirit himself bears witness. Sum martureo. It's from the Greek word martis where we get martyr. Someone testifying of the truth to the end. A faithful witness. He's a witness to our adoption into the family of God where we can cry Abba, Father. That's the verse right before Romans 8, 15. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit or the spirit. Most translations or some at least have that capitalized. The Holy Spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, cry out Abba, Father. Do you remember Jesus in Mark 13 in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's crying out to his father and he says, Abba, Father. It's this term of endearment, this, this close term. Trump, some translations or some lexicons will say, uh, it'll say daddy. Like this, this more intimate term that God is close beside you. He's, he's close to you. It's tender affection for a father. He's not some distant God. When you're adopted into his family, Jesus said, the Father and I will make our abode within you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living inside of you. That closeness with Abba, Father. You don't have that in the world. You don't have that in Islam. You don't have that in false religions where it's some deistic God, just a God who's way out there. Maybe a God who created the universe and just sits back. He can't communicate closely with his creation or vice versa. That's not our God, and through the Holy Spirit, we have this close unity with the Father to where we can say, Abba. So you fight sin through the Spirit. You're crying out to God as Father, Abba, in the Spirit. You're bearing life and peace and joy, and all of these things confirm that you are a child of God. Number three, he's the Spirit who helps Romans 8, 26 and 27. He's a helper. Romans 8, 26, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. To think that God, the Holy Spirit, helps us. He comes alongside of us when we're weak. It's one of the longest Greek words I've ever read. Soon antilabanomai. Soon antilabanomai. I can't even pronounce it. It means to help in the Greek. It's used twice in the New Testament here in Romans 8:26 and it's used in Luke 10 40. It means to give assistance, to lay hold along with, to strive to obtain with others. Luke 10 40, there's Martha. She's busy with all her preparations. Remember the story? She's cooking in the kitchen. There's Jesus teaching, preaching. Mary's at Jesus' feet. She's taking in the word. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. Soon antilambanomai. Tell her to come alongside me. I need her assistance. And Jesus is like, no, she's staying right where she's at. She's taking part in the better thing. She's hearing my word. She's soaking it in. She's humbly sitting before me. There's a time to serve. There's a time to work. Now's the time to learn. Now's the time to sit at my feet and learn from me. Tell her to come help Jesus few years back I was coaching a baseball team junior varsity baseball team in California and it was time for me to drag the field the dirt was pretty compacted and dry and so the coach said get the deep drag and the deep drag had these metal rods about this long and it was about I don't know 80 pounds I could barely carry it so I went to carry it out to the field and I was frustrated with how awkward and heavy it was and I threw it from me but I didn't throw it quite far enough. Problem was my left foot was sticking out a little too far. 
and one of those things went right through my shoe. Now, it didn't go all the way through my shoe. It, it just landed right on my big toe, right on my toenail. And I was like, ooh, that hurt. And I'm like, I'm going to be tough. I'm a man, right? I'm a baseball coach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing what I'm doing out here. So I hobbled around, and I got on the golf cart, and I was dragging the field. And I looked down a couple minutes later and saw some blood starting to come out of my shoe, kind of pulsating out of my shoe. I thought, oh, that's not good. What am I going to do now? So I took off my shoe and kind of scared to see what I was going to find underneath there. And my toenail was barely hanging on, and my toe just didn't look very great. Let's just say that. So I hobbled to the dugout, and I sat there for a couple minutes, and I was ashamed and embarrassed. And the coach walked over, and he goes, what happened, Nick? And oh, I dropped a deep drag on my toe, and it's bleeding. And he looked over at it, and it, it was like, he was a very, like, hyper guy. He's like, whoa, what's going on over here? And you need to go get that looked at. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And so long story short, I hobbled home. I lived about five houses down from the baseball field. And I walked home with a limp. And then I got home and said, Leah, I don't know what to do with this toe. I don't know if I should just rip the toenail off. I don't know if I should go to the ER. I don't want to go to the ER. And so for like an hour, we're going back and forth. And she's like, make up your mind and do something. And I get pretty dramatic, too, at times and over overplay things, if you will. And so finally, she's like, just go to the ER. And so I go to the ER, and they try to shove the toenail back in my foot when it was already pretty much hanging off. They're like, yeah, we'll just shove it back in, and that, that'll solve the problem. And I later found out that that's not what you're supposed to do um, from the podiatrist at Kaiser, who said, I don't know what, don't know what they were thinking. Um, but I broke my toe. Th they eventually ripped the toenail off, and I was on crutches and in bed for maybe a couple more days than I should have been because I kind of milked it. And so here's why I'm telling this story. Because Leah came alongside. She was helping me. She was nursing my wounds, so to speak. I was laying in bed, and she's serving me food. And more water, please. More Gatorade. I need my meds. And I probably could have gotten out of bed a little sooner than I did. But I enjoyed the help. I enjoyed the assistance. And so Leah was like, if you will, the Holy Spirit in this illustration. We're all on spiritual crutches at times in our walk. Maybe at more times than not. We truly need assistance. We need help. The moment we think we have this all figured out, if I would have said, I'm going to just get out of bed and go run to the kitchen and get my own food. She's taking too long. I probably would have fallen over halfway there, and she might have laughed at me, but that's I needed help, at least for a day or two, and she rendered that assistance. The moment we think we have this all figured out, the moment we think I'm good on my own, is the moment we're going to fall hard. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in John 14 through John 16 several times the parakletos. The Greek word means the helper, the comforter, the advocate. He's one who comes alongside. It was a word used as a defense lawyer. He's someone who's defending us, fighting our case, pleading our cause. So remember that when you're spiritually weak at times, the Spirit is there to help you, to cry out on your behalf, which leads me to point number four. He's a Spirit who intercedes for us. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I have to admit, praying is hard at times for me. I get into it, my mind wanders. I get back into it, my mind wanders again. It's easy to just get on the phone and check whatever, check the news, check this, check that. I'm like, okay, Lord, back to prayer, back to devoting myself to prayer. People have needs, people have hurts. I need to pray for my brothers and sisters. I need to pray for help in the, my family. I, there's a million things I can pray for, Lord, and my mind wanders. So what I do is I memorize scripture, and then I, in a sense, pray the scripture. And I'll repeat the scripture, and then I'll use that as a springboard into prayer. But it is a struggle. Leah reminded me that in high school she was given a four-hour prayer assignment. The teacher said, 
Well, I don't know exactly what the teacher said. I told her I'd call her up to share her story because she was sharing it last night and how for four hours she prayed to the Lord. And I said, did you pray the whole time? And she said, well, I sang a little bit. And I said, that's cheating. It didn't count. And I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But she was seeking the Lord. She said she, at times it was almost overwhelming that the Holy Spirit, she felt, was confirming truths in her life, things she was praying that the Lord was showing up in amazing ways. And the more that she was praying, the more she felt closer to the Lord and tears were pouring forth and she turned in the assignment to the teacher and the teacher was even blessed. And I think she said the teacher was crying and was saying, like, this is exactly what I was looking for. Like, this was my hope in giving you guys this assignment, that the Lord would meet you guys during this prayer session with him. Now, I don't believe we have to put a number on it. I have to pray this amount of time. Jesus, as our model, continually prayed. He prayed all night on several different points, different times before he chose his disciples. It says he went off to the mountain to pray all night to God. And I looked up the Greek, and it gives us so much insight there. The word all night, it, it means all night. All night. All night long, he was praying to the Lord. And I struggle five minutes, ten minutes. I even asked Leah the other day, I go, how can I increase my prayer life? Give me some help here. I need some tips. I'm struggling. I just feel like my mind is empty when I go before the Lord. And I love this verse that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God knows his saints are weak at times. He knows we're feeble. He knows we go in and out of seasons of life and strong faith and we, we strive for a strong faith and a strong prayer life. But at times, it's we, if we're honest, most of us would say it's not where it should be. I was encouraged by this quote by John Wesley. He says, quote, our understandings are weak, particularly in the things of God. Our desires are weak. Our prayers are weak. We know not many times what we should pray for, much less are we able to pray for it as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us. It's encouraging. man that rode 250,000 miles on horseback to get the Word of God out and to evangelize could say that our prayers are weak. Our understandings are weak. It's not an excuse to continue to offer weak so to speak, prayers to God or insignificant prayers or allow our minds to wander. We need to press in all the more and try to press past these things that are hindering us from prayer because sometimes it could be sin in our lives. Sometimes it could be negligence. Sometimes it could be we're getting caught up in things of the world. And other times we're just truly trying to seek him and we're struggling in the weakness of our bodies. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where he aids us. That's where he helps us. That's where he intercedes for us. Praise God for that. Point number five. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. He's the spirit who sanctifies. He's the spirit who sanctifies. Second Thessalonians 2 13 but we should always give thanks to God for you brethren beloved by the Lord because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth what does sanctification mean what does it mean it means the process in which the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ the Holy Spirit makes us holy if you go over to first Thessalonians probably just a couple pages over in your Bible, to chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. I want to read these verses. Look for the word sanctification. See how many times it appears. appears it appears a couple times in this text. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul's saying you reject this command. You reject the idea that you need to be sanctified. The Greek word is hagiosmos. It means holy. It can be translated holiness. If you have a King James, it translates at least one of those words. They're all the same Greek word, hagiosmos, sanctification, holiness, Christ-likeness, becoming conformed to the image of Christ. He says if you're rejecting this doctrine, you're rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit. You're rejecting what the Holy Spirit does in your life. You are quenching the Spirit. You're resisting the Spirit. You're getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you. And if he didn't make his point clear there, verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, So that he, that's God, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. God wants us to be holy. He's called the Holy Spirit. Hagias Numa. Numa meaning spirit, breath, or wind. Holy Hagias, he's the Holy Spirit. It's his job to make you holy. The more filled with him you are, the more led by him you are, the more you're walking in him, knowing him, the more holy you will become. And this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's God's will for you and I that we live holy lives. It's not some archaic term. It's not some little house on the prairie idea. It's a biblical doctrine of allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way with you and I. And it's the will of God. Many people, even young people, say, what's God's will for my life? Who does he want me to marry? Where does he want me to work? Where does he want me to live? What's his will? They're searching in all these different directions. What's his will? And it's as if Paul is shouting out, 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your holiness. Don't put this on the back burner. It's not like marriage and job and where you're going to live and how much money you're going to make and all these things. And then, oh, holiness is back here. Put that on the, st- the side over here. Once you get all those things in place, then you can get your life right with the Lord and truly seek him and walk in holiness. We can get things backwards. We can put the cart before the horse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. Make sure that is first in your life. Knowing God, knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living for him, living a holy life, and you will be shocked as to how all these other things start falling into place, one after another. Stay there. How holy was Jesus? Perfectly holy. The Holy Spirit wants to make you and I like Jesus sinless and perfect that's the track we're on be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect that's what we're striving for we're striving for perfection and that's why if you're truly following the lord and walking in sanctification there's times where you're going to feel like man i'm not making the mark not to beat yourself up and feel condemned and oh god just hates me but you're like man I am really missing the mark. The more you know him, the more you start to see areas in your life, even little things. Not that any sin is little, but it's things you might not have seen before. And he just begins to show you different areas. And you go, wow, I never saw that. I know through my marriage, even Leah's mentioned, I never saw these things in my life before. When I was single and you know, going to school and Yeah, you have your challenges in life and you go through seasons, but when you get married, that other person shows you areas in your life. Man, I never knew I would get this angry before. I never knew that this was somewhere inside of my heart. And God begins to show you, and he's patient, and he weeds out these things in our lives as we're led and filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you can insult, believers can insult the Holy Spirit? 
Hebrews 10.29 says that we can insult the Holy Spirit. We can outrage. ESV says outrage the Holy Spirit. It is a powerful, it is a strong text to not be led into sin and to follow and allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life. It says it starts off with if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And then he goes on to talk about a fury of fire and judgment and how God vengeance, God says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then in verse 29, it talks about those who trample underfoot the Son of God and regard as unclean the blood of the covenant. And then it says, by which he was sanctified. By which he was sanctified has insulted the spirit of grace. That's a heavy text for falling away from God. So much for once saved, always saved. So much for I can just walk the aisle and live however I want and I'm always saved and I'm good. I've checked the box. Fire insurance, as some people call it. No, you must continue in Christ. Read the book of Hebrews. Let us hold fast this con- confession, this confidence. Let us not throw it away. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brother, unless there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All these warnings all throughout. If you go back, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no sacrifice for sin any longer, but only judgment. Wow. By which you were sanctified. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're sanctified. You're positionally made holy. You're a saint before the Lord. You're set apart for him. And then the rest of your life, you're progressing in sanctification as you submit to the Lord and walk in him. And don't turn your back on him and fall away from the faith. Serious, serious words. Okay, last two points. There's no clock, so who knows where we're at. A couple more hours. They took down the clock. Point number six, he's the spirit who gives gifts. He's the spirit who gives gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I, pro- you, I probably could have done seven messages on each point, right? Leah said, do a series on the Holy Spirit. And I bit off more than I could chew, trying to fit everything into one message. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. He goes on to talk about a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and faith and gifts of healing and miracles and prophecy and distinguishing of spirits and tongues and interpretation of tongues. Nine different gifts listed here, and that's not an exhaustive list. All these gifts the Holy Spirit gives his children. I told Pastor Joe recently on the phone, I said, I'm just delighted to be a pinky toe for the Lord. I'm just... Just, I'm happy to be a toenail, wherever I can fit in, you know? Kind of goes with my story earlier. That wasn't intended, but just want to serve the Lord, right? Wherever you have me. You want me to sharpen pencils? Okay. You want me to to vacuum? You want me to watch kids? Just tell me where to go, Lord. Okay, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to be led by the Spirit. Just want to be of use to your kingdom. I just want to bless your saints. That's my prayer, Lord. May your saints be blessed. May they be edified. May they be encouraged. May they be strong in you. May they be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing their toils not in vain. Help me, Lord, to build them up in you any way that I can. So we're told to desire the greater gifts, to pursue love, yet earnestly desire the gifts. And I must say, I don't think of it like that, I don't know that in my prayers I'm like, Lord, I'm desiring the greater gifts. I'm usually just saying, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to bless you. I want to serve your saints. And I think they go hand in hand. But that's the heart that God wants us to have, to press into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And why does the Holy Spirit give gifts to edify the church? Remember, he glorifies Jesus Christ. He magnifies Christ. We are Christ's body. We are Christ's hands and feet. He's building up the body so that Christ can show himself off to the world, so that Jesus Christ is made known, and so that the church is united and strengthened. 
So we should come to the church being ready to be filled. Walk through these doors, you go, okay, I'm going to listen to worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going to talk to my brothers and sisters, I'm coming to be filled. Maybe I'm dry. Maybe during the week I was just getting my mind all over the place, I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm coming to be filled, I'm coming to be encouraged, I'm coming to be strengthened. And as the Holy Spirit is filling me, now I'm overflowing, and that overflow is to go to others. So that should be our prayer. Lord, fill me and allow me to be used so that I can use my gifts to bless others. The more you're filled with him, the more you're going to be a blessing to others. 1 Corinthians 4.26, let all things be done for edification. Let all things in the church be done for building up. How can we build each other up? So that should be on your mind when you're getting together with brothers and sisters. There could be a selfish aspect, not a sinful selfishness, but in a sense, I want to be filled with joy. I want to be filled with peace. I want to be filled with the Spirit so that now I can bless your saints, Lord, now that I can edify them. And I'll tell you, for years, I don't know that that was on my heart. It was, what's this message going to be about? What am I going to get out of this? And how fast can I run to this door right when church ends? That was my mindset. And I was really empty, and I was depressed. And I said, okay, Lord, something needs to change here. I need to serve your saints. And it just started with saying, can I pray for someone? Walk up to people. Do you need any prayer? You want to go out to lunch? Uh, how's, how's life going? How, how's work going? I started to put others before myself, and I saw that God just started to use me. He just started to open doors. So some people are like, I don't know what my gift is. I don't really have any gifts, and I'm not really going to serve. Then you're just going to stay in the same place I was. But the moment you open yourself up, get a little bit vulnerable, and you say, Lord, I just want to use, be used by you. Here I am. I don't even know what my gifts are. Show me. Help me to serve you. Watch the doors open up. Watch people be blessed. That's God's heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is my last point. He's the spirit of power. He's the spirit of power. The book of Acts could really be called the acts of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's on every page almost of the book of Acts. His power is made known. It's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. The power of the Holy Spirit to conquer sin. The power of the Holy Spirit to save. The power of the Holy Spirit to heal. The power of the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples after Peter was hoping that Jesus would set up his kingdom. And Jesus says, no, I'm not setting up my kingdom on earth. I'm not destroying the Romans like you want. Get your mind right, is what I believe Jesus was saying here. He says in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Isn't that interesting? You will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit is a witness. And when you're filled with him, you become a witness. Now go be filled with the Spirit and go to the ends of the earth and be a witness. Just as the Holy Spirit is a witness. And when you look at Acts chapter 3, there's this poor beggar. He's lame from his mother's womb, it says. He's begging for silver and gold. You see Peter in Acts 3. Verse 6 say, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. He stands up and walks. Everyone is celebrating this great miracle. Peter is then arrested. He's brought before the religious leaders, and this is the question they ask him. Acts 4, 7, by what power? By what power or in what name have you done this? Now, does Peter start talking all about the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. And let me magnify the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you all about signs and wonders. And you can come to our school of ministry and you can uh, get involved in... No, he doesn't go there. He talks about Jesus Christ. But it says in Acts 4, 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. What power or in what name have you done this? Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through him the power of the Holy Spirit who magnifies Jesus Christ, and that's where Peter goes. 
he begins talking about Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, who God raised from the dead. And then he gets down to verse 12, and he says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He's the spirit of truth who points to Jesus Christ, exalts Jesus Christ, and magnifies him. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you magnify Christ, you make him known, and you make it known to people that there is salvation in no one else. Repent and believe in Jesus. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit who testifies. He's the spirit who helps. He's the spirit who intercedes. He's the spirit who sanctifies, the spirit who gives gifts, and the spirit of power. Know him. Be led by him. Be filled with him and watch as he magnifies Christ and makes his power known to the world. Amen.